I wear glasses in context, right? And so one morning I woke up and uh, I don't know what I was doing the night before, but I was out late and I came back and I woke up exhausted and I was like, dragged myself to the bathroom. I went to put on my glasses in the morning and as I put them on and I looked in the mirror, like that exact thing happened to me. And I'm like seeing myself, I'm like, oh, it's blurry. And I was like, oh, wait, I can see. And it's blurry. And I was like, I'm turning into Spider-Man. It was like the greatest moment of my life. So I started to like check for like spider bites. I was like, I know I got bit by a radioactive spider. And then I realized that I went to bed so early the night before in a fog that I never took my contacts out. So the whole time I was like, oh, it's, it's just my contacts. And I was super bummed instead of having superpowers. It was such a bummer because I thought I was turning into Spider-Man, right? Have you ever done, well, I don't know. How many of you guys wear glasses or contacts? Anybody ever? Yes, you ever do that before? And you're like, you think you're turning into Spidey and you're going to go save the day, but then you're bummed because you're like, nope, I'm just dumb. I just forgot to take out my contacts. There's something about being able to see clearly that's really awesome. I don't know if you guys have ever used a mask in the pool before and it's gotten like all foggy when like a really terrible mask and you have to keep taking it off and like cleaning it to be able to see and getting the fog out. It's so annoying not to be able to see clearly right? I remember when I first got my contacts, uh, I just like, I got them for the first time. I didn't even realize how bad my eyesight had gotten because it just happened so slowly. And I got used to not being able to see very well and things just being blurry. And so for the first time of having contacts in my eyes and being able to look around, everything looks so beautiful. It was this weird like feeling like, why is that tree so beautiful? It's just a tree. But like, I could see the details in it. It was just something awesome about being able to clearly see what's in front of you. And we often take it for granted. And sometimes we don't even realize how blurry we're actually seeing things. It happens just so slowly. And all of a sudden we look up and realize, whoa, dude, I'm almost blind. And I didn't even see how I got to this point. And tonight we're going to look, we're still in our series, asking for a friend. James is still sharing with us about the Christian life. Like things that we might not want to ask, we think we should already know, or we're just ashamed to ask. So James is like, I'm going to lay it out for you. I'm going to help you know how to walk in the Christian life. And so tonight he's kind of talking to us about this idea of being able to see clearly truth. And we're going to notice maybe tonight that maybe our eyes have gotten, the eyes of our heart have gotten a little blurry. And some of you might realize tonight, man, I didn't even know that it had gotten this bad. It happened so slowly over the course of these last few months or maybe even years that like at one point I had a clear picture of Jesus' face and I knew why I loved him and I knew why I wanted to walk with him. But for some reason along the way, it just slowly got blurrier and blurrier and here I am finding myself almost blind tonight. And as we hear James' words, maybe you'll say, man, I didn't realize it got this bad. And my hope tonight is that I think what James wants to help us with is help us to be able to see clear again, to be able to realize how bad it's gotten, and to be able to say, Jesus, put this new lens on my heart and on my mind so I can look and see your face clearly. I can see how important a relationship with you is clearly. And that's my prayer for us tonight as we jump into this passage We're in James chapter 1 still. We're in verses 22 to 27 if you want to read along. So let's read that together. It says, But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. 
For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. Religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. So tonight, as he talks to us about this, this analogy of a mirror and being able to see clearly in that mirror, the first thing, if you're taking notes, I, I would have you write down tonight is this. Quick ears lead to obedient action. We talked last night or last week because James was talking about having quick ears, right, and slow mouths, that we should be slow to speak and quick to listen. And so he's still kind of talking about that, that we would be doers and not just listen, Have quick ears, but don't stop there. Don't just listen to God's word. When you hear God speak, what you should do is remember Samuel and Eli in the temple that we talk about all the time? Being able to say, hey, God's calling you, so say whatever you want, Lord, I'm going to do it. Be quick to say, yes, God, I will obey you. Have quick ears that lead to obedient action, to say, yes, God. He says in that verse, but be doers of the word and not hearers only. And then he puts this little tag there, so we really get what he's trying to say, deceiving yourselves. Like you're straight up lying to yourself if you can hear God's word and then do nothing about it. It's like the clear voice of God being, hey, Rob, I want you to go do this. And I go, I hear you, but nah. (laughs) I know that's the best for me because you know the best and you know what what my life should look like because you designed it. But God, uh, no, like I I don't think I will. And James says, "You're, you're literally just lying to yourself. You're fooling yourself to think you know better than God himself. So be a doer. When God says something to you and calls you to something, do it. Obey him. Say yes. You won't regret it. God's word, we saw James said last week, should be implanted in our heart. And so this salvation that it brings us, it's more than just like just religion. The salvation that's implanted in us is a relationship that grows It's this growing thing inside of you between you and God. And as he speaks, you hear him and you say, yes, Lord, let's go be together. Let's do this together. Show off in front of me. Do miracles in front of me. Let me witness you work in my life, God. This awesome, moving, acting relationship with God the Father. It's not just sitting and quoting things and memorizing chants and being religious and this boring, stagnant thing that doesn't go anywhere. It's about stepping out in faith and being like, God, let's go today. Show me yourself. Reveal yourself to me. I want to know you better. I want to be wowed by you. I want my faith to grow so that anything that comes my way, I know you have my back. That's the relationship that James wants us to have with God. But you get that by being a doer of the word and not just sitting in a dark corner and reading it and hearing it and leaving it there. You take it with you in your heart, in your life, and you live it out. You do the word of God. It's this relationship that you have in faith in Jesus. The second thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes is reflect in the mirror. Here's why I say this. James says, for if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, 
He's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. He makes that analogy. You, you wake up in the morning, and hopefully you look in the mirror. You go and you get ready for your day. And you do that by going into the bathroom and checking out your mirror and making sure your hair is not sticking out all over the place with cowlicks everywhere. And, like, and you got like whatever drool coming down and a little sleepies in your eyes and maybe a little bug hanging out. You know, like, you're like, oh, man, I better clean this up. You know what I'm saying? And you see that by looking in the mirror. You get ready for your day. You reflect. And James says that someone who he hears the word but doesn't do it, he's like this dude who's looking in this mirror and he sees how he is. Sticking up hair and all, the boogs hanging out, the whole deal. He sees that. But look at this. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. So I get up and I'm like, there's bats in the cave, you know, and there's like, you know, and I'm, I get wrinkled. I'm good. <laughs> I walk away. I'm like, you know what? Forget it. I'm not going to wash my face. Breast snake's not going to brush that. It's fine. You know, like, and I just go, I just go do my day with mud on my face and wrinkle, like the whole deal, it just doesn't matter. That'd be ridiculous. Why'd I even bother looking in the mirror if I wasn't going to do anything about it? Why walk out of the house knowing that I'm a mess? Did you go to a job interview looking like that? It just doesn't make sense. And he's like, but this is the same. When you look at the word of God, it's like this mirror and it's showing you what you look like. And guess what? If you're human... It's not going to be a pretty picture. There's going to be some work that's going to need to be done every day. The Apostle Paul says every day he wakes up, he says that he has to die to himself. Every day he does stuff he doesn't want to do, and he doesn't do stuff that he should do. It's this daily battle of waking up and looking in the mirror and be like, what am I like today? What's in my life today that's dirty, that's messy, that's filthy? And as you look in God's word, it shows you. It's like this mirror. He says, Look what he says next, that for he looks at himself and goes away at once, forgetting what he was like. It's not forgetfulness like, oh, I just, oh, I guess I forgot. It's this willful forgetting, like in ignoring, almost denying, like I'm not that bad. I'm all right. I don't need to deal with this today. I'd rather push this over here and pretend it's not there, because then I don't have to deal with it. I don't have to confess it. I don't have to feel awkward about it. I don't have to feel guilt or shame. I can just kind of push it over here and be like, you know what, I'm good, and go on with my day and let my heart rot inside. But the beautiful part of Scripture is that it helps us see those things. It shows you the broccoli in your teeth. It lets you know that there are things that you should deal with. And James says this next, but the one who looks into the perfect law And he calls it the law of liberty. Often we don't think of the law as being freedom, right? We think of the law as being this thing that like binds us. It holds us back from doing the things we want to do. But he calls this law a law of liberty. Not this law that saves us. It doesn't have the ability to save us, but it does have the ability to set you free. And that's weird to think about, this law setting you free. It seems opposite. But it shows you just how broken and sinful, you really are. 
As you read God's word and it says to be honest, right, and to value truth. And then you think about your day and you're like, man, how many times have I lied to my teacher so that they think I'm better than I am? Or I say things and twist the truth around my friends so they think I'm more talented or smarter or more skilled or or whatever. So they think better about me or I go on social media and just kind of twist the truth so that people, my viewers, my followers will think I'm like better than I actually am or tell my parents things that just aren't true. How often is my life full of deceit when the Bible, this law of liberty is saying to be honest? But I don't know that. I don't know that's a problem until I look into this word and it's like a mirror saying, Rob, look at your life. Look at the things you're doing. That's filth. Those things, you need to get those cleaned up. You can't go out like this. You need to take care of those things. But that law of liberty allows me to know who I am. And there's freedom in just knowing that you're messed up. (laughs) Knowing that you have faults. Knowing that you have problems. Knowing that there's sin in your life. And being able to just be honest about it. Too many people have grown up in a church culture where people are afraid to admit that they have sin because they feel ashamed about it. They think their pastor is going to point their finger in their face and just yell at you for like, oh, how could you do that? I'm never going to do that to you, by the way. You can always bring things, problems, and sin you're struggling with or brokenness to me, and I will not judge you, and I will not put my finger in your face. That's not my job. The law of liberty helps you see in that mirror and go, I have some messed up things. And it's freeing to be able to just say that. But the world wants you to stop there. They want you to believe the half-truth of like, hey, just be you. And it's cool. And linger in that sin. But this whole mirror, the point of it is so that you can see it, and that's freeing. And then you're able to turn it over to Jesus and say, don't leave me like this, God. Don't leave me broken. Don't leave me with this sin and this filth over my life. Don't leave me with this dishonesty in my heart. Don't leave me with this lust that kicks my butt all the time. Don't leave me with the list goes on and it's yours. And you can look in the mirror and see. But then you turn it over to Jesus. That's the whole truth. The freedom comes when you take those things that this law, this mirror is showing you you have wrong. And you give it to Jesus and you lay it at his feet and you go, I surrender. Jesus, it's yours. I don't want to go after my own desires and will anymore. I surrender. I want want you to have the say in my life. I want you to fix this. I want you to make this right. And when you turn those things over to him and go, it's your will, not mine, he gets to work. He starts to grab those things and to clean up that sin and that brokenness inside of you and make you more like him because you've released it to him, because you've handed it over To him, you see, you weren't just a hearer to know that it was wrong, and then you walked away. You were a doer who said, all right, God, let's do some business together here. This is what's up. This is what I saw when I looked in the mirror. As I read your word, and it tells me this, I know I'm doing wrong. I know I've got this problem, so here it is. Take it. Do something to me. Don't just leave me the same that you found me a thousand times before. Change me. Use your power to make me different. You know what? God will do that if you surrender it at his feet. If you stop looking at the mirror and walking away and forgetting what you look at. But you start remembering and you start putting it at his feet and saying, Jesus, take this from me. Don't listen to the world that says stop at the mirror. 
just be you, just do you, your sins are okay, your brokenness is okay. You know it's not. As much as they want to convince you and make you feel better about it, in your heart, you know that brokenness is not okay. You want out of it. So take it to the feet of Jesus. Finish that truth and go, God, it's yours. Make this right. The next thing I want you to write down tonight is this. Follow up hearing with doing. Do. When you hear, say yes, all right? James says, the rest of that verse is, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts. Be the person who hears God's word. He opens up your heart, and you let him convict you. And sometimes it's uncomfortable. Like, we don't want God to convict us. We don't like it when the Holy Spirit comes along and he, like, prods in your heart and you know he's talking to you. You know he's convicting you about a thing, but you're like, ugh, that's uncomfortable. It feels weird. I don't want you to make me feel like this, but you know it's him. And you know he's putting his finger right on the most sensitive part of your heart that you try to hide so much from everyone else. You don't want people to know. And he just has a way of just pulling back the layers and putting his finger right on it and being like, here, this is what needs to change. Will you trust me enough to give it to me? Will you follow up your hearing now that you know with some doing, with some repentance, with some surrender to say yes to Jesus? And look, if you do that, I guarantee you, James even says it, you'll be blessed. He says he will be blessed in his doing. There is such blessing when you can take your junk and just be free about it and just be like, God, here it is. Finally, I can just get this load off my back and be honest and just tell you or tell a brother or sister in Christ or tell your life group leader or Sunday school teacher or me or a pastor and say, look, I just need to pray with somebody. This is what's going on in my life. Or just bring it to the feet of Jesus and tell him and then do something about it. Let that conviction happen. Let the Holy Spirit touch that tender spot and and bring it out to your attention And he will give you this unbelievable peace. When you're finally made right, you're like, okay, we're good. Like my my, uh, slate is clear before you and I've been honest with you. There's this, this closeness that happens between you and God. The sin isn't getting in the way anymore. And you're able to just look at God and you're like, I've been honest. I've been honest with you. And then power comes. Like first peace, but then this power comes because now you can go, all right, God, I'm ready. I've got a willing heart now. I've laid my sin at your feet and I'm ready to serve you. Just tell me what to do. And then all of a sudden, the things that God will do with you are so powerful because you're uninhibited by all this junk that gets in the way, this blurriness that happens and you're able to see him and you're able to respond, have this relationship that says, God, whatever you want me to do. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit power takes over your life and you're like, how is this stuff happening? And the only answer is, God has just decided to work through you because you laid your heart at his feet. And he's doing something you won't believe. The next thing I want you to write down tonight is this. Trade empty religion for relationship. See, there's a difference between hearers and doers, right? These just hearers, James says this about them. Look, if anyone thinks he's religious and doesn't bridle his tongue, but deceives his heart, this person's religion is worthless. 
It, what he does is he picks an example about just having a loose tongue because he just talked about that, right? Be slow to speak and quick to hear. So he grabs that example to remind us and says, let's just use an example here. People who walk around thinking they're religious. Now, the word for religious that he uses doesn't mean what you might think it means. Uh, the word for religious actually means piety, which means like devotion or someone who thinks they're very dedicated to their beliefs. It doesn't mean like this thriving relationship with Jesus. That's not the word. It just means you're dedicated, you're committed to what you believe. Usually the ceremonial thing. And he's kind of using it to mean like empty ceremony, empty devotion in your heart. It's the guy who walks around all the time with his Bible that's this big, trying to make everybody like think he's super religious. And then he just blasts everybody and judges everybody and talks behind their back. And he can't even bridle his own tongue. He belittles people when he prays prayers. He think, you think he's talking to Jesus, and really he's just trying to bash people and gossip through his prayer. Like that fake Christian that acts so devoted but actually just ruins all the relationships around him because it ain't real. He can't even bridle his own tongue. That's what James is saying here. He's like, that person, his religion is worthless. He misses the whole point of what Jesus has actually called him to do. You see, religion isn't this thing that, like, gets you saved, all right? He's talking about a lifestyle, a religion that happens because you've been saved. Because Jesus has come in your heart and just, like, changed your whole world and turned it upside down and made you totally different. His love has blown you away. And so all of a sudden, what comes out of that, the fruit of that, is the way you should live, which is James is talking about as, like, religion, Questions for a friend. How should I live the Christian life? That's exactly what James is saying here. Here's the key to it. It's not this empty thing to like impress people around you or just be devoted. There is a heart to your religion. And you know what it is? Love God and to love people. It's the mission statement of our church. Love God and love people. That's what happens in you when you've met Jesus. When Jesus is your king and your savior, you begin to love God and love people fiercely. And that's what James points out next. He says this, religion that's pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. He's like, you want to know what it looks like to walk with Jesus? Here it is. And this isn't a recipe for salvation, all right? Remember, this comes out of being saved. It's a reflection in the mirror of the person who is walking with Christ. When you look in the mirror and see this, you know that you're walking with Jesus, all right? That's what this is. He says, to visit orphans and widows in their affliction. That's the first part. Think about what an orphan and a widow represent. The people who have no one to fight for them, no one to defend them, no one to speak up for them and love them and care for them. People who are left alone. The fringe of society, the people who are the outcasts, the ones most people don't want the burden of having to deal with or take care of because they can't take care of themselves. It represents people that are sacrificial, like it takes a sacrifice to love them on your part. Those are the people that we're called to love if we're following Jesus. Those are the people that your heart starts to notice as you pass them by, and you're like, whoa, and it's more than just orphans and widows. That's the beginning, but Jesus even takes it up a notch, right, when he's talking to his disciples, and he says, you should even love your enemies. That is a wild, extreme love. But when you're walking with Jesus, you look in the mirror, and you see a person who can love even your enemies, 
who can look at people who have been offending you and getting in your face and people who just treat you like trash. And somehow in that mirror, you see a person who can still love them back. And it's not because you're great. You won't get there. You won't. But when you know Jesus, he can do that through you. He can give you the love that he has. You spend time with him and you experience the love of Jesus on you. You're like, whoa, that's what that's like. And that love is able to be poured out onto other people. You love people fiercely. And then he says this, and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Here's that second part. The second part is to leave behind the old life. And you put on this brand new life as you're being immersed into the life of Jesus. You're being plunged into Jesus. It's washing you. You look in the mirror, then you see a person who says, I'm not going to live the way I used to. As I read God's word and I see these things and the Holy Spirit says, hey, you're struggling with that. I'm able to go, God, here it is. And what I'm doing is I'm plunging myself into the life of Jesus. I'm letting him wash me. You know, that's why we use baptism as this ordinance, as this thing that we can picture like what Jesus is doing in our hearts. It's hard to see it with our eyes, right? And so it's this picture for us to say, spiritually, you're being taken and being dunked in this, this Water that is washing you. It's taking that sin and washing it away. That water represents Jesus, that you are being immersed into Jesus. You don't just look at that mirror, see your sin and your filth, and you walk off and forget and just say, whatever, I don't want to deal with it. It's more comfortable to not deal with it. I enjoy having that mud on my face. I enjoy the mess that I am. I want to stay in this life as destructive and painful as I know it ends up being. I'm going to stick on this path. What you do is you see it and you become a doer. And you say, I need to get washed up. I need to be plunged into the life of Jesus. I need him to fix this brokenness. I need him to wash this sin away and this filth in my life. I want him to give me freedom so I can know that I'm clean and clear between me and God. That when I get to the gates of heaven, God's going to look at me and say, man, all I see is the blood of my son. You are washed and you are clean because you've been plunged into Jesus. Some of you guys have been saved, but you've never followed Jesus in obedience to be baptized. You've always put it off. I want to encourage you, take that next step. Jesus wants you to show the world around you, especially your closest people here at church, to say, I believe in Jesus. I've been plunged in Jesus. I've been washed, and I'm not ashamed of that. Before you leave tonight, will you please come talk to me? Please have the courage to say, Rob, like, I need to do that. I haven't. I've been putting it off. Can I be baptized here at Firehouse? We'll pull that take up here in a couple weeks, and we will baptize you and let you follow in obedience what Jesus has called you to do. Encourage the people in this room by saying, I'm not ashamed of what I believe. But maybe tonight, that's not you. Maybe you've never actually had a relationship with Jesus. You don't know how to look in the mirror because you've never met the Savior who can forgive your sin, who can take that mess you're in right now. And he can fix it. He can wash it. He can heal you. He can take the hurt that just doesn't seem to go away, and he can make that right. And you know what? The only way you're going to find any sort of solution is through Jesus. So maybe tonight for you, you talk to me or one of your leaders, and you say, like, I want to do that tonight. I want to meet this guy who can, who can make me clean. This Savior who loves me so much, he died and gave his life for me. I want to know him. And we would love to pray with you. We would love to tell you how to know Jesus and find forgiveness. 
how to do what we've been saying all night and take all that and lay it at Jesus' feet. We'd love to show you how to do that one-on-one. When you see that old filthy person in the mirror and you plunge yourself in Jesus, that is the key to living the Christian life. Each morning you wake up and you gaze into God's word and you say, Father, show me who I am today. Help me become clean and take this sin from me. Our band is going to come up and they're going to lead us in a song of worship. And as they do, would you just do me a favor? Would you just bow your heads right now for a second? And just in the quiet of your heart, would you just be honest before God? Would you take a second and look in the mirror? Would you hold that mirror up in front of your face and just ask God, like, say, will you show me truth right now? God, will you show me who I am as we sing this next song? Will you just reveal some sin, some things that I need to give up to you tonight?